0: You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Our sermon
1: text today is from Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. And again he began to preach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him, So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. And when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered and away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on the good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased thirty, sixty, and a hundred times. Then he said, Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables, so that you may indeed look and yet not perceive, you may indeed listen and yet not understand, otherwise they might turn back and be forgiven. And then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word, some are like the words sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And others are like seeds sown on the rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root and they are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the world, they immediately fall away. Others are like seed among the thorns. Those are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are like seed sown on the good ground. They hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times that was sown. This is God's word.
0: All right. I think we're good. Uh, good morning. If you don't know, my name is Micah. Um, luckily, uh, this is my second chance to preach here, so you know it's a pretty good sign, I guess, if they gave me one more shot. Um, but it really is a joy um, to have an opportunity to preach this morning. Uh, it's been a little bit of a crazy couple of weeks for our family, but um, I, I am excited to be able to open God's Word this morning. Uh, I hope you're all excited to uh, to be here and to hear what God has for us. Uh, before I start, though, I do have to say just a massive, massive thank you to so many people uh, in our church family who have helped us over the past couple weeks. Uh, we recently bought a new house, and uh, we literally would probably not be alive uh, without the help of so many of you um, you have watched our kids for us to let us work. You've come to our house and worked on it with us. I think Aaron pulled both of his hamstrings uh, laying floor with me till eleven thirty one one night. Chad uh, somehow fit underneath our house uh, running some electrical wire. Sue, uh, who's not here this morning, but she's the real hero, cleaned all of our bathrooms. Um, seriously, we feel so loved and supported by you guys. Um, It it feels like a real church family and one of the reasons we bought this house is because it's got great space to have people over So you all have a open invitation to our house at any time Um, You guys are we love you and we can't thank you enough. So just wanted to start with that Before we jumped in Uh, But this morning we are uh, looking at the the parable of the sower Um, And this this past week I had the opportunity to travel for work and um After a long day of meetings, our boss thought it would be fun to take the team out to a local comedy club, and uh, they were having some sort of competition where a couple of amateur comedians came in against what they called semi-pro, which I'm not sure how you're a semi-pro comedian, but... Semi-pros would come in and they all had about five minutes to give their best material And then at the end we all voted on who we thought was the best and then they would move on to the next round and Eventually would get to the funniest person in Cincinnati Um, That was the yeah Cincinnati exactly Um, So we went to this comedy club and you know, I I anticipated it being, you know, fairly uh, raunchy and assault on the the senses, but it was far beyond what I even had imagined. It was, it I, it was just incredible, but not in a good way. Uh, but one thing that actually really stood out to me was almost all of the comedians had jokes about Christianity, about Jesus. Um, again, not in a good way. Um, and it, it, was, it was interesting to me that people all over the world can have such different reactions to Jesus's message. Like, think about this. We believe that, this, that the story of the Bible, that Jesus, is absolutely true. And if we think of this as a historical truth like say that of the Revolutionary War or maybe some like cosmic truth like that of gravity, then why doesn't everyone or maybe nearly everyone actually believe it? How is it that something that can be so self-evident to us seems so delusional to another person? If we put it another way, if Jesus, who is God in the flesh, came to earth To declare that the kingdom of God is here, how did his message not convince everyone? Is it a problem with the message itself? Is Jesus just a really bad teacher? I think it's a pretty significant question for us to wrestle with. And I think it's also one that no doubt the disciples and the early followers of Jesus would wrestle with as well. The question that if Jesus has come to bring the kingdom of God, but most people aren't going to listen, then how is the kingdom of God actually going to come? I think this is what our parable this morning is about. The parable of the sower. Now, like most parables of Jesus, this one is both simple and actually really complex. Uh, It's a parable, if you've been in church for a while, that you've no doubt heard before, are very familiar with. Uh, In fact, I was kind of... Wrestling with a couple of different parables to preach from and I didn't really want to do this one because it seems so familiar and so simple But uh, as I started to really study it more I found how challenging and difficult this parable is and how there are some ways that I had actually misunderstood it for many years The parable is unique in that it has a lot of characters if you read Jesus' parables They tend to only have a very few characters number of characters some people even group them into single double or triple character parables you can kind of group all of them but this one has a lot of going on and depending on what you put the emphasis on the meaning can change a little bit is the emphasis on the sower is it on the actual sowing is it on the seed is it on the soil is it on the harvest where you kind of put that emphasis can can change a little bit how we understand this parable But I think it's actually a very imperative parable for us to get right. Um, A a scholar, Klein Snodgrass, in his book, Stories with Intent, which is a massive book on the parables, he claims, of all the parables, this is the most important parable for our understanding of the kingdom of God. And as we just read, Jesus himself says, if you don't understand this parable, well, then you're not going to understand all the rest of the parables. So our understanding of this parable is incredibly foundational and important for understanding the kingdom of God, for understanding Jesus and His teachings. Now, before we jump into the actual parable itself, we need to get a sense of the context of this parable because it's very important. As Alyssa read for us, uh, in the the way that the The screen was showing there. It actually didn't stand out very much. But right in the center, so Jesus gives his parable. Then there's this little break. And then he gives the explanation of the parable. So it's a structure. And right in the center of that structure is a quote from the book of Isaiah. And the way that Jewish writings work is the most important point is always in the center. We kind of write where our most important point comes at the end. But in Jewish writing, it's what's in the center of your unit is the most important thing for you to focus on. So this quote of Isaiah is the key for unlocking our understanding of the whole parable. Now, we got to go back and uh, talk about Isaiah a little bit. Because actually the way that quoting in Scripture works is also a little bit different than the way we tend to quote when we write things. Uh, Today, we tend to focus on just the actual words of the quote supporting our idea. But in in the scriptures, they want you to reference the entire package of what's happening back in Isaiah. The whole concept, not just the specific words. So what's happening in Isaiah is Isaiah 1-5, through God has pronounced his judgment on Jerusalem and Judea because they have refused to listen and obey him. So his judgment on the people of God, and he's warning them that judgment is coming because you have refused to listen. Now, Isaiah 6 is the familiar passage where God calls and says, Who will go for me? And Isaiah stands up and says, Here I am, Lord, send me, Uh, which is great. Now, what Jesus quotes here is the, the last part of Isaiah 6, which we tend to not read when we quote that great send me passage is, the message that he actually tells Isaiah that he wants him to go and declare. So I'm going to read it here for us real quick. Starting in verse 9, Isaiah 6, he says, And he replied, Go, say to these people, that is to Jerusalem, Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears, and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears understand with their minds, turn back, and be healed. And then I, Isaiah, says, Until when, Lord? And he replied, Until the cities lie in ruins without inhabitants. Houses are without people. The land is ruined and desolate, and the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again. And like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled, the holy seed is the stump. So here's the great message that Isaiah is to deliver, is you don't understand, you don't see, you don't listen, therefore I'm sending you into exile. Now these words can seem pretty strong. It can almost seem like God is, is wanting them to, he's making them not see and not understand. But we actually want to read this in terms of a, um, an emphasis and an actual call of saying, I want you to listen. Um, I've I tried to think of an example of this in our, the way that we talk today, and I couldn't really come up with a great one, except for if you see on movies or something, someone's bullying someone, and they say like, oh, don't cry, no, don't cry. Like, he's actually saying, I want you to cry, right? He's, he's using this as a way, this is what God is saying is, yeah, go ahead, keep keep not listening. Keep not looking because exile is coming. Because if you turn back, I'd heal you, but go ahead and keep doing it and see what happens. It's actually a call to him saying, start listening. You're not listening to me. But even though exile is coming, this this little passage ends with a a seed of hope, right? At the end, it says, uh, the holy seed is a stump, And this idea of a stump gets developed throughout the book of Isaiah. It's famous, you may know it, of it becomes the stump of Jesse that first sprouts a little bud and then a branch, and then that branch eventually produces fruit. So even though exile is coming, judgment is coming because the people weren't listening, there's a a hope. There's a holy seed that one day will turn into a fruit-bearing plant. So we need to have this context of what's happening in Isaiah as we read this parable. Second, we want to look at the context of the parable itself. One time, a lot of times when we read the parables, we tend to pull them straight out and look at just the parable. Um, and it, it's, it makes sense. It's, they're easy to do. They're compact stories. But we have to remember that the gospel writers are picking and choosing these parables for specific reasons. Right? This is one way we can understand why are the gospels different. Why does luke do this and matthew do this and mark do this and john do this because they're not just writing a biography as we think of it today they're they're doing theology while they're writing this and they are putting parables and choosing parables to fit in specific places to make specific points and this is super clear in mark in mark this is one of the first parables that jesus tells and it's strategically placed Early in the in the book of mark and it comes after two very serious Accusations and one surprising declaration So in mark chapter 3 the first accusation comes from jesus's own family Jesus begins his ministry. He's healing people. He's casting out demons He does a, a small bit of teaching and his family. It says they try to restrain him and claim that he's out of his mind so the first accusation from Jesus' family is, this dude's crazy. That's in Mark 3:21. The second accusation comes right after it. These rulers, the scribes from Jerusalem, so these are the, the big time that Jesus got the attention of the most important people in the land, and they come to, to, to make their claim and say, what do we think about Jesus? And they say he's possessed by a demon, So here's the first two accusations of Jesus as he begins his kingdom ministry. He's out of his mind. He's possessed by demons. And this comes from his family and from the rulers. And then right before the parable, Jesus makes this surprising declaration. He says, my family, my true family, are the ones who do the will of the Father. And he says that to the crowd of people who are diseased and possessed and poor and ritually unclean. So that context of Isaiah and of what has just happened in Mark is imperative for us as we jump into this parable. Mark is explicitly drawing us back to Isaiah where God judged Israel with exile for their lack of listening and obeying, but has also promised a renewal through a holy seed that will one day grow into a fruit-bearing plant. Mark also strategically places this parable right after the people you'd most expect to listen to Jesus— And understand him, accuse him of being crazy and possessed. And the people you least expect to understand him are declared to be his true family. So, now with that context in mind, we're going to look at the parable in three parts. And I'm going to look at just Jesus' explanation of the parable, since he essentially repeats the entire parable for us in the explanation. So, part one the kingdom comes by the word. Jesus begins his explanation of the parable with this simple phrase, the sower sows the word. So we know that in this parable, the seed is representative of the word. Now, interestingly, the sower is actually never identified in this parable or in its corresponding accounts in Matthew and Luke. Some people argue over who the sower is, but I think it's most easily understood as Jesus and the, the word as his preaching and proclamations about the kingdom. The word is kind of a catch-all for the overall message about the kingdom of God and Christ being the king. Now, this is kind of remarkable when you think about it. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to earth, and how is he going to do that? Is he going to be like other kings of the day and use his mighty power and bring the sword and rule by fear? Is he going to rise up through the ranks of government, uh, give a few bribes, get a comfortable majority, and legislate? Is he going to maybe start an incredible multimedia company and make irresistible content and broadcast around the world? Is he going to go into the halls of higher education and blow their minds with his wisdom? No. He's going to show up in an unimportant place at an unimportant time And just start talking. And talking in a confusing way. This this is incredible. But it's also hugely important for us, I think. It's important for us to remember that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of the word. We must not be tempted to build upon anything else. Because if we do, we're not building God's kingdom. We're building our kingdom. This is... Means that we must be experts of the word and I mean that in two ways I think most obviously it means we must be experts of the scriptures themselves of the word We must know this intimately when jesus is quoting from isaiah He's doing it because in his hearers minds. They're going back to isaiah They know exactly what he's talking about because they know the scriptures and we need to be able to do that, too The scriptures should be that which is hidden in our hearts But secondly, I think this also means that we should be experts, explainers, or advocates of the word. If the kingdom is a kingdom of word, then we should give special attention to how we use our words to talk about the word. I think this is something that we have done poorly with in recent times within the Western Church. Again, uh, at this comedy show, I was at, this stuck out to me because every time someone made a particularly uh, vulgar joke, they would, they would go with, oh man, I'm going to hell. That was their understanding of the Christian message is I do bad things, I'm going to go to hell. That's what they got. Now, we can talk about the, the truth of that, but if that's their only concept of the message of God, then we can do, we've got to do better than that. There's got to be a bigger vision for the kingdom of God than just, I told a bad joke, I'm going to hell. But that's what our culture understands. And honestly, at the end of the day, it, they don't care. They were telling that as a joke. They didn't understand the seriousness and the gravity of it. It was funny to them, and everyone in the audience was laughing too. We need to be, we need to be able to talk about the word in compelling ways. And I think we need to be able to talk about the word in creative ways. We're not ever changing our message, but we need to understand the times that we live in and how the people hear in our times, and we need to be able to talk in a way that's going to penetrate that. And I think that's something that we, we really need to work on. I think there's a lot more for us to discuss with this, but I, maybe it's good things for you to talk about in your small groups this week is what are some things that you've seen the church build upon other than the Word of God, and how can we avoid this? And how does our understanding of this parable inform how we might go about sharing the Word with others? But the most important thing for our understanding here from part one is that if the kingdom comes by word, then our participation in that kingdom is dependent upon how we receive and respond to the Word. So that's part two. The kingdom of God is received by hearing. Jesus explains next in the parable that sowing the seed is symbolic of hearing the word. Now, it's interesting that all four uh, soils are described as having heard the word. They really did hear it and receive it, at least in some capacity. The, 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 The... you know, they heard that it, and it fell on the path. It heard and it fell among thorns. It heard and it fell in the rocky ground. It heard and it fell in the good ground. Every single one of them used their senses to hear. Now, one thing that I think is important here is to consider the Scripture's use and emphasis on the use of our senses. I think we have bought, sadly, into this Platonic idea that we are nothing more than brains— walking around on sticks. The only thing that really matters for, re- for truly knowing is just our minds. That's the idea that Plato and everything that followed after him held, held dear, and we've bought into that. But it's not the biblical picture. Con- consider all the verses in Scripture that appeal to our senses. Just a few that jumped out to me. The foundational Hebrew scripture, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Not know, hear. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, When Lance opened up our parable series, he mentioned this one uh, in Corinthians, uh, that Christ through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere. Knowing And more specifically, I think, knowing God involves our whole selves and all of our senses. God was angry at Israel for not perceiving. This is how we know the world around us. Uh, We had our family over uh, yesterday, and uh, my sister-in-law has a, a little baby. If you've ever been around babies, how do babies experience the world? Right? They taste, they touch, they stare, they... They use all of their senses to figure out what is all of this that's going on around me, right? That's how, they're, that's how they actually come to know things in their mind is through their senses. And this is how God is asking us to engage him. Now, I, I learned this um, in, in other more tr- Christian traditions that are more liturgical, like say Catholic or Orthodox or Anglican. Um, they use incense and vestments and icons and you're up and down and kneeling and, and you know, at first I kind of looked at that and I was like, what is what's going on here? But what I've learned is the heart of why they do that is because they are trying to appeal to every single one of your senses in the worship of God. Now, those of you who know me know I'm all for the liturgy, but I understand it's not for everyone. And that's okay. I don't think it needs to be for everyone. But I do think that our culture has a perception that church is boring. I don't know if you've ever seen the great Mr. Bean skit of him going to church and falling asleep. If you haven't, look it up. It's hilarious. But that's what our culture thinks, that church is just a chance to go and get some shut-eye. And I think that really church should be an assault on your senses. Because God is a God who has come into this world and is appealing to touch, taste, feel, experience him with all of who you are. I do think this is a caution for our tradition, though. Because we have placed such a high prominence on theological accuracy and knowledge of our mind only. And those things are good. But I wonder if we are depriving ourselves of an understanding of God that comes from engaging him with our other senses. Now, we do need to be careful as well because the main point of this parable is that there are different levels to our senses and our perception. And it's really only the deepest level that counts in the kingdom of God. But many people don't make it to that deeper level. And that's part three. The kingdom of God grows by listening, by really listening. Jesus explains that while each soil has heard the word, they actually listen to the word differently. Now, within Scripture, there is a fourfold path of listening. I'm going to use the example of if you were walking in the woods one day and you were to hear a cry. To explain the fourfold path of listening, so the first part of listening is the actual physical audible hearing of the sound. So you're walking through the woods and all of a sudden you hear a cry. That's that's the first part of listening. The second part is listening to something with the intention of comprehension. So you you listen again to hear what was that, and you hear help. Okay, second part of listening. The third part of listening is responding to what you heard. So you heard help, and you start running towards the sound. The final part of listening is obeying or following through on what you heard and actually rescuing that person or hel- helping them out in whatever way they needed. This is how the Scripture presents listening. And it's tough because our, in our English, we tend to use listen for a broad range of things. Um, maybe just the physical act of, of hearing. But actually in Scripture, in, in Hebrew, the word that is translated as obey most often in Hebrew Scriptures is the word listen or hear. God, when, when He is talking about listening, this is what he's, he's working through. This whole path, all stages, all acts of hearing, all stages are acts of hearing, but only when you do all four of them can you say that someone has truly listened and understood? This is the key point of the parable. The kingdom of God has come, and the way that you enter into this kingdom and learn more about it is by truly listening to the word, which means obeying the word. This is actually the point of all the parables. This is why Jesus says, if you don't understand this, you don't understand the rest of them, because all parables are meant to provoke us to obedience, to action. Obedience is actually essential as well for our understanding. Uh, George MacDonald, who was a, a early author in England, a, a huge influence on people like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, um, he also was a minister, and he had many great sermons. In one of his sermons on the parables, he says, "...the greatest obscuration... Great word of the words of the Lord come from those who give themselves to interpret rather than do them. He who does that which he sees will understand, he who is set upon understanding rather than doing shall go on stumbling. The point is that you actually have to complete the listening, you have to do obey before you're even going to understand. If you just stop and try to understand and don't get to the point of obedience, you'll actually never understand. I think this is the main point of the very next parable Jesus tells in chapter 4, the parable of the of using your light, of hiding your light under a bush. He says, to those who have, more will be given. To those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away. If you start obeying, you're going to gain more understanding. But if you don't do it, then even your understanding, what you think you understand, it's going to be taken away. The four different responses to the word given in this parable are clearly outlining in the book of Mark how people are going to respond throughout the gospel. Now, what's really surprising about this is when you read through Mark with this kind of paradigm in mind and see which people actually represent which soils or which responses— we, we already saw at the beginning, the context here is that Jesus' family and the religious rulers, the experts of the law, they reacted to him in the surprising way. They, they didn't listen. They didn't understand. And actually, Mark is pretty harsh on the disciples in the book of Mark. Um, a lot of people see the disciples as outlining the lack of understanding that Jesus highlights in this parable. Peter, at one point, confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, and then in the next breath, he rebukes him. That's like the seed sown on the path that the devil snatches away right away. All of the disciples abandoned Jesus at the cross, and Peter, again, even goes so far to deny him. That's like seed on the rocky soil. It sprouted up quickly, but when persecution came, it was gone. The disciples multiple times throughout the book of Mark argue over who's the greatest, and Judas betrays Jesus for money. That's like the seed sown in the thorns. The, the worries of life and money take it away. Twice in Mark, Jesus actually calls out the disciples explicitly for not listening and not understanding. The last is in Mark 16, after the resurrection, He rebukes them for not listening to the women who reported that Jesus was alive again, that they didn't believe them. It's it's incredible. You compare this to those that do listen and truly perceive him. Right after this, the first thing that listens to Jesus is the wind and the waves. He obeys them to stop and they stop. The demon-possessed listen and obey him. The ritually unclean seek him out to obey him. And even a Gentile woman comes and shows that she understands and obeys him. I think this means that we need to be a little wary of how we set our own insider-outsider distinctions. Jesus seems to set it as, who listens to me? This is the main idea. Even though there are many who won't truly listen to Jesus, there will be an unexpected people, a stump, if you will, who will, and they will exponentially produce fruit by their obedience of the word. The kingdom of God is here. And just like in Isaiah's day and Jesus' day, people won't listen. But God's appeal to you is to listen, to really listen because there will be a people who do listen and obey and by doing so will enter the kingdom of god and will grow and experience eternal life So listen because how you listen will determine whether you understand this or not And if you are inside or outside of the kingdom Now Just a quick note, I don't have enough time to really dive into this I wish I did but perhaps you were like me stud- and I was studying this parable and I was saying but what about faith? Right? We, we like to preach, you've been saved by faith. And here Jesus seems to be commanding obedience. And as I thought about this, I, I thought, you know, the Bible actually says where faith comes from. You know where faith comes from? Hearing. That's right. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing. Perhaps there's, there's more here to be explored. So just a quick points of application here as as I close. I think what God is calling us to today is to take a hearing test. I've read this passage many times and I've always kind of come at it as the main point is teaching teaching me that when I preach the gospel, here's how other people are going to respond. And I think there's some truth to that. But really, as I as I studied this, I realized, no, God is actually provoking me to turn inwardly and consider how am I listening? How am I responding to the word? We need to really consider how we listen. And I think we need to also have some grace because listening is a continual process. These soils, these responses, they're not set in stone. We just talked about the disciples traveling all the paths of them and yet we get to the book of Acts and they finally start obeying Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes and they turn the world upside down. We, we may be in different stages of listening. But we need to consider that, that fourfold path of, of listening and, and where are we maybe falling short. And I think too, if you struggle perhaps with feeling like you don't understand or there's a lack of understanding in your life, to consider that perhaps that means there's a lack in obedience. God seems to tie obedience and understanding together. There's some debate in this parable over what the the harvest is, the, the production of 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And I think there's some good cases for many different understandings. But I think, in my understanding, is that what he's saying is when you begin to obey the word, if you listen Truly listen and obey, then you will continue to grow in understanding. That's what the the harvest is. It, it's not an eschatological harvest of all the people who will one day believe in God. It's it's the growth in your own life and your understanding and your, uh, in your further obedience to the Word of God into deeper and deeper knowledge of the Kingdom of God. I think. This is what we need, we need to focus on. We need to be concerned with our obedience. We do a great job of looking at the word and trying to understand it and making sure that we, have a f- we can explain it clearly. We, it fits logically in this system. We're very good at systematic theology around here. But God is kind of blowing up some of those categories and saying, at the end of the day, the kingdom of God is about listening to the word and obeying the word. And the word is Christ himself. John opens his gospel that the word is Christ. We, we sang that beautiful psalm before we started to show us Christ. Where else can we go? He has the words of eternal life. So I pray that this parable, as we've gone through these parable series this summer, is a challenge to us. That now we can go and read now that we have this we can read the other parables and we can see where is it That god's calling us to obedience. This is just the starting point now. We need to understand. What is the kingdom of god like? Read the other parables. Jesus is explaining again and again This is what the kingdom of god is and this is what it requires for us to be a people in the kingdom We need to follow him in radical forgiveness and care for the least of these So I pray that God would open our eyes, that he would give us eyes to see, he would give us ears to hear, he would give us minds to perceive, that we would turn, we would be healed, that we would walk in obedience, that we would enter into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful this morning for your word. God, we are grateful that Christ came and that he was satisfied just to talk to share with us the secrets of the kingdom of god that you didn't remain hidden forever but you revealed yourself most clearly in christ that we may know what the kingdom of god is like that we may participate in the kingdom of god we pray that you would give us all of our senses a desire to know you more that we would desire to see and to taste and to feel and to hear and to love you more. God, engage our entire bodies, our entire selves in our worship and our love of you. God, you are so good, and your kingdom is a kingdom of goodness. Your kingdom is one of eternal life, and you've allowed us to enter into it. We are so grateful for that. I pray, God, that you would give us willing and able hearts to bring this kingdom about, to continue the work of Christ in sowing the seed far and wide, calling people to listen to what we have to say because we wish to share this with them. We love you, we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.